As a photographer, I constantly meet women that wish they were more beautiful. They'll say to me, change this request, fix this, smooth that. Or I'll catch them saying, oh, they're not beautiful or they wish they could do this to their bodies or that. Looking at this, comparing themselves, all of this pain. This made me realize that women face so much pressure just to feel like they're enough. So I decided to create the SHAPE campaign. SHAPE represents simply human advocating positivity everywhere. SHAPE, get it? <laughs> so I launched a nationwide search and received submissions from all over the country. But only six proved to have what it takes. I want to take the diamond in the rough and make her shine brighter than ever. I'm looking for determination, creativity, confidence, and heart. Every size, every color, and every shape. And you better believe I don't shoot for the stars. I create them. <laughs> yes. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Raquez Rouse. And this is the Shape Campaign Podcast, Season 2, Episode 4, 2023. <laughs> Today's episode is entitled, Representation Matters. And this talented sister that we will be listening to today has a story that is worth every minute. So without further ado, Miss Serena Johnson. Serena, how are you? Oh, I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast today. How you feeling? I am like, this is a long time coming. I'm excited. This is, you are, you have, your story is just so inspiring to me. And so just to be sitting in your presence right now is just out of this world. Um, thank you for being a part of the Shape Campaign. Oh, thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. Um, this is season two or Shape 2023. Um, how has this experience been for you? Well, it's been exciting. Um, one of the things that I truly enjoy about the campaign it is honoring women of all shapes, all sizes. And when you see in like the media, they always like to portray like skinnier is better. And, you know, if you're bigger, they always have like a negative connotation to it. And Anyone knows, regardless of your size, you are a woman, you are powerful, you make a difference. So with this campaign, I am very excited about spreading my story and also helping others, especially other women, see that regardless of your size, you are powerful. Mm -hmm. Well said. And, you know, I'm glad you touched on that about, you know, especially with like the media um, and to be just transparent, when I initially started the Shape campaign, um, again, this is the second season. It was initially just about body type and just, you know, full figure women and just, you know, embracing curves and embracing the um, the unconventional beauty, I would say. However, I saw the need that, you know, not to isolate or marginalize a certain group of women. And so I was like, you know, let me just make it open for all. And so it's beyond now just about bodies. I think when people think of shape, they think of like your body shape. And and, and that's part of the um, entendre with that. But it's more so about the shape of you. What, how is your mind? What shape is your mind in? Because I think the way we think and our perspectives, they alter how we look sometimes. Because what you think you can do, it manifests itself in your life and how you Go about life, um, how you carry yourself, things like that, the type of friends you have, the relationships that you um, foster and things like that. So it's so much more than that. But I'm glad you touched upon that. Um, tell us about yourself. Like, where are you from? Um, 
who is Serena Johnson? I'm from Fayetteville, North Carolina. I am currently an educator in Cumberland County Schools. This is year eight for me. Um, I've always been told that I was going to be a teacher, an educator. So something that I feel like is kind of like my blueprint. That's my purpose in life. Um, I got into modeling when I turned 30. When I turned 30, I always thought like, okay, now I'm entering a new decade. I wanted to do things that I'd never done before. So modeling was definitely the one thing I wanted to do. But it was kind of odd to me because I joined an agency, Raquel Chanel Modeling. And it was hilarious to me how I would try to go to like fashion shows and being able to meet with designers. And I was always told about my shape, my body. Um, I remember I was doing a fashion show and I was selected by the designer originally to perform the day of the show. He looked at me and told me, um, no, we're going to go with someone else. And that kind of like shattered my whole world because I actually had my family there. They were supposed to see me walk. Did he say why? Like, what was that about? They changed their mind because of how my body looked. And what made me laugh was I originally tried on their clothes. Mm -hmm. It fit well. I walked for them. They were like, okay, you're good. Mm -hmm. And then it was like literally four weeks later, they looked at it and I'm like, mm. we decided someone else is going to walk. That will be better fit. And ironically, it was a younger girl who was skinnier and who could fit the clothes in their eyes better. And it was a little bit disappointing because I was looking forward to walking for this designer. So it was a little bit like, okay, a blow. But another designer who saw the whole thing asked me to walk for his his clothing line, which was nice. And even though it was a nice recovery, I was like, okay. So that gave me like a quick reality check about mm -hmm. how some people are when they see certain body types. Um, so it just kind of gave me tougher skin, mm -hmm. but it also made me realize like, don't get offended or immediately upset when you hear things like that. If someone else changed their mind, it's their loss. Find something Well, else. you know, it's something I want to circle back to Serena yeah. as well, because you, first of all, you say you started, you, your interest in modeling came at the age of 30. Um, typically in the fashion industry and modeling world, it's like 14, 15, you know, um, as young as that age. So why 30? Was there any like uh, hesitation that you had about being 30? Which is no. not old, by the way. Okay, <laughs> <people>. <laughs> uh, thank you. Thank you. Um, but I've always wanted to do modeling when I was younger. But with my parents, they're like, no, school is first. Education is first. Focus on, you know, going to school. You focus on being a kid. You don't need to worry about being a model. And I always thought, well, when I'm in college, I'm going to go ahead and try it. But when I was in college, at that time I was living in Charlotte, I was focusing more on my responsibilities, you know, finding a place to live, being able to work part-time job, making sure I can go to school and keep my grades up. So modeling never occurred. But when I turned 30, I started thinking about all the things that was going on. And of course, this was in the midst of COVID. When you're locked up in your house and you're thinking about all the things you want to do once COVID is over. One of the things I thought of was I wanted to pursue modeling. And I knew a couple of people who was actually modeling and they were older. So it kind of motivated me and be like, huh, you know, I'm not too old to actually get started. So I started with my first birthday shoot, which was me turning 30. I did a boudoir shoot and it was mainly about me being confident about my time, my body, really. And uh, backstory to that, um, I actually gained weight 
And I was feeling a little subconscious about my body because like, I want to say about five, six years prior, I was always like one, 105, 110. And then I gained like 35 pounds. Mm -hmm. And then I noticed that my body filled out a little bit more. Mm -hmm. I'm getting a little bit more curved. So it took me a minute to kind of adjust and actually accept my body. Mm -hmm. So when I did the boudoir shoot, I got so many compliments from the photographer, my sister, my mom. They were like, wow, Mm -hmm. you are blossoming into the woman that you're meant to be. Um, Even my husband was like, okay, now I see you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's shooting now. And I was like, okay. So it made me feel good. So I was like, okay, I'm comfortable being in front of the camera. I want to be able to try different things. Let me give modeling a shot. And so far it's been a... It's been definitely an interesting journey, mm-hmm. but I'm also learning more about myself in the process. So, okay. With that, right? So you, you got into modeling at 30, which I commend you for, you know, going after what your real passion is. Now, when you had the fashion show, right? And the designer told you, hey, we're going to go with someone else because we like the way the the dress, the gown looks on that other young lady. Was that at the show that they told you that, or was that in that email or a phone call? It was at the show. Mm. It was disappointing because, like, um, I arrived at the venue. Everyone was getting set up. Everyone was meeting with the designers to figure out what they were going to wear, figure out the order of the show so you can get ready. Mm-hmm. And I, my parents actually texted me and told me, hey, we're in the lot. We're going to get ready to get seated. We can't wait to see you. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. I was excited. And I saw the designer. I was like, okay, I'm ready to grab my fit. And they just looked me up and down and they were like, you know what? We're going to go with someone else. Now, they did not see you prior to the event? No. So oh. that's that was the one thing that blew me because four weeks prior, I tried it on. I walked for them. Mm-hmm. They were like, okay, we'll see you at the event. Nothing. Yeah. It was like radio silence. And then the day of the show I show up to go ahead and get my fit so I can get ready. And they looked at me and was like, you know what? No, we're going to go with someone else. And they proceed to ask a younger girl who was thinner if they will be able to model. But see, that's what I'm trying to understand, though. Yeah. Because if you did the week, the fitting weeks prior, right? Yeah. And they saw you, I assume, during the fitting. Did you gain weight in between that time? Now, when you say you gained 35 pounds, was that before that event or was that... Oh, no, that was after, way after. It was like, I was already heavier <laughs> then. I was already heavier. Mm-hmm. And they saw me mm-hmm. then. Mm-hmm. And I figured that they were okay with it mm-hmm. because they didn't have any critiques about it. They were like, okay, it fits well. We'll see you at the show. Mm-hmm. And then four weeks later, I'm still relatively the same. Mm-hmm. Maybe a couple of pounds heavier. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But they just changed their mind. And now it wouldn't have offended me as much if they had told me, you know, like maybe the day before, mm-hmm. maybe. But it was the day of the show where my mindset was already getting prepared. Of and your family to, is yeah, coming to see coming. you. And, and how do I'm you just, explain that to them? How did you, I, I can only imagine you felt embarrassed. Yeah, I was embarrassed because they were like excited because like I went into details about one of the fits I was wearing and they couldn't wait for me to see. It. They couldn't wait to see it. Mm-hmm. And it was hilarious because they only saw me walk twice mm. in an hour show. And they were like confused afterwards. They were like, I thought you were some more. I originally was, mm. but that got cut. 
So you you still were able to walk because of other designers, yeah. but just for that particular designer, they yeah. didn't want to. I didn't walk for it. And it was a little disappointing, but at the same time, I told my mom, the next time I invite you to a show, mm-hmm. I'm walking in all, mm-hmm. all the designers. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make sure that I do. And you know, it's really interesting because I can imagine that takes a lot of uh, strength just to recollect your emotions in that moment. And, and I would imagine you feel insecure in, in the moment where you're told you can't wear this because we don't like the way your body looks in this gown, but you still have to perform Yeah, in other ways for other designers that have nothing to do with that situation. So for you to have that mentality to compartmentalize like that, commendable. Yeah. I commend you for that. Um, and that is, like you said, this campaign is about embracing all types of beauty. It's not saying that this type of beauty is bad because you're smaller, but it's to say, yes, that's beautiful, but yeah. this is beautiful too. Yes, the thicker, the, the the shapes that are not conventional, not just the pear shape, yes. you know what I'm saying? <laughs> not just the Coke bottle shape, but the shapes that fit between that spectrum. Because I think beauty is a spectrum. And yeah. I think that um, the more that people begin to see these things, especially young girls and women, they see more versions of different types of beauty. Yeah. They can feel that sense of camaraderie, that that sense of acceptance because they're like, okay, I'm not alone because mm-hmm. there's somebody that I can see being seen mm-hmm. in the ma- mainstream or in media that I can identify with. And I think that that, that proves the power of representation. Yes. Absolutely. Um, now, I know that you are a dance instructor, right? Yes. Talk about that. Well, I've been dancing all my life. I started when I was six. Um, my mom didn't have money to put me in dance classes. So there was like a rec center that I would go to every once in a while to actually learn dance from other kids. Um, and then, of course, I always loved watching TV. So music videos was my thing. Watching like Michael Jackson, remember the time, practicing them dance moves every time I got it and just get it down pat. And I just enjoyed the energy of it. I really didn't get into dance classes per se, like ballet and modern until I was in high school. By then I could afford it. And um, I truly enjoy just seeing people being diligent about working on their craft, working on their dance movement skills and being able to just take it to a whole nother level. And it wasn't really in until I got into college, I started to see myself as a true dancer. And um I worked with some really amazing performers and they gave me tips on how I could work on my craft and being able to do more. And I always dreamt of being like a like a backup dancer for like a celebrity and whatnot. But like I said, I always came back to working with kids. Mm-hmm. I love working with kids and seeing how well they can be able to catch something and just take it with it. Mm-hmm. Um, like one of my favorite things is having a student that come up to me and tell me they don't like dance. And then after a semester with me, they'd be like, no, 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 I want to stay with you. I want to stay with you. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, ah, oh, you got to come back to me next year. I'm like, no, I want to stay with you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's cool actually working with kids, getting them invested in dance and making them see dance is not just for girls. It's for anyone who wants it. Boys, girls, men, women, young, old. It's for anybody who wants to take part of it. Now, you got to be strong enough, and I'm not talking physically, to be able to handle moves. Can you be able to take it to a whole nother level? Can you show your energy? Can you show your personality? Can people see who you are? Because you're dancing, everyone needs to see what's in the inside. And that's the important thing when you're performing. Mm -hmm. So when I work with my kids, I try to make sure they understand that. Because when they see you on stage, 
They shouldn't be just seeing you, your visual body. They should be able to see the emotions that you are conveying when you're performing. Mm, that's good. And, you know, I think um, it's it truly is an art form. Expressing, you said, they need to see what you're feeling on the inside. And that bringing that, emoting that in a way where you're using your body as an instrument for people to be able to see what you feel inside, that takes a lot of skill. Why do you think that your students love you so much and that they're so just compelled to want to continue to dance? Well, one of the things that I always try to do is listen to my kids. Um, I've seen different techniques and strategies that teachers have, whether it's like, you know, tough love or trying to be their best friend. Mm -hmm. I let my kids know up front, I'm not your best friend. Mm-hmm. But I can hear you, I can see you, and I can give you some feedback, mm-hmm. and I can make sure that you are on the right track. Mm-hmm. If you're not on the right track, I'll make sure that you get there. And don't get mad at me when I tell you what you need to do to get on the right track. Now, what ages are these students? Um, so I worked with middle school ages for seven years, which was like from 10 to about 15, 16. Mm-hmm. And then I transitioned to elementary, which is a whole new monster, which is pre-K to fifth grade, which Mm -hmm. is literally like anywhere from four to about 10 to 11. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to me because with elementary, they have so much energy and they have no problem with taking that energy and run with it. So if I tell them to do a turn, they go all over the place and I'm like, okay, hold on, let's add some counts. And I always make it like Make it like a sound, mm-hmm. like make it like a nice little song for them to be able to stay together. And it keeps them together. Like one, two, three, and four. One, two, mm-hmm. three, and four. And once they get the rhythm of it, then they understand exactly what I mean. And they can be able to transition through that mood. And when they get it, I get more excited than they do because I'm like, oh, yes, mm-hmm. we can be able to do something for your families to see. And you can be able to perform mm-hmm. and they get so excited because they want to show other people what they can do. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you enough when I speak to their parents, they're like, oh, my God, my daughter loves your class. She keeps showing me how to do the grapevine over and over and over again. Let me just say I'm ready for the electric slide. Yes. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, yes, <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. I want to make sure that you're ready to dance. And it just makes me feel good. And it makes me feel like I'm actually doing what I'm supposed to be. Mm. I can only imagine that's like really satisfying, fulfilling to feel like you're doing what exactly what you're supposed to be doing, which is what I feel like with the campaign, the shape campaign. So yes. <laughs> I definitely share that thought and feeling with you. Now, are these mostly young male students, young girl students, a mix? What is the demographic? Well, when I was doing middle school, it was majorly girls. I uh, will only have like maybe four or five boys at the most. Mm -hmm. And even with them, they really didn't want to dance because they get intimidated when they get surrounded by girls. Mm -hmm. So when they see only girls, they feel like boys are not supposed to be doing it. Mm -hmm. And when you show them different examples of male performers, Mm -hmm. whether it's Michael Jackson, Usher, Chris Brown, they'd be like, yeah, but they're rich and whatnot. I'm like, no, when you're looking at them performing, guess what they have to do? They got to practice. They got to rehearse. Mm -hmm. They take their time and do an dedication. You have to be able to do the same thing, too, Mm -hmm. because when you actually are interested in something and you want to pursue it, you can't let other people keep you from doing what you want to do. Mm -hmm. If you want to dance, dance. Nobody's not going to stop you. Mm -hmm. If you're going to stop because someone sat there and pointed at you and laughed, guess what? You're not going to be able to make it in life because you're always going to have someone pointing at you saying something. So you need to be able to keep it moving. Um, I did have one male student who made me laugh because I had his sister. 
and his sister loved my class. And when I got him, he didn't want to dance at all. Sixth grade, he didn't want to dance at all. He had to like, he was held hostage. Seventh grade, he started to get into the mood of actually trying, performing. Eighth grade, when I tell you eighth grade, he wanted to be in every performance. Mm -hmm. I was sitting there like, dude, where was this energy back in sixth grade? Mm -hmm. I needed you to be able to do all this stuff here. Mm -hmm. And it made me laugh because he was like, well, I didn't want to do it because it was like only girls. I'm like, you in eighth grade, you still surrounded by girls. Mm -hmm. But <laughs> I think it's I think it's the perspective as well. Yeah. The maturity, um, even though eighth grade is still kind of immature as well. But that with that maturity comes confidence yeah. and experience comes confidence. So perhaps that's what he was feeling. Now, um, what type of challenges present themselves with your students? Because I was uh, I was watching a video um, and you may have seen this a YouTube video. A young lady, she's a dance instructor and she was talking about how the young ladies that she was teaching, they weren't really interested in the type of dance lessons that she was trying to, you, you know about that story? Yeah. Yeah. Talk about that. So it's like in today's time, we got TikTok and we got all these fun and cute movements that the kids are recording and they think this is dance when they don't understand like, no dance is actual technique is actual dance training. Mm -hmm. And it makes me laugh when I watch these videos where it's like, oh, this TikTok dance and everyone's going crazy about, but then you see the real dancers and they perform and doing some stuff and moving their whole bodies mm -hmm. and everyone's kind of like, yawn. I'm like, what? <laughs> Don't be disrespecting my profession now. And it's like, take the time to actually see real dancers mm. because we put a lot of time and energy in our bodies. We want to make sure we're fit. We want to make sure that we understand the movements and we want to perform the way it needs to. Now it's all good when you have TikTok dances for fun, but don't confuse TikTok dances with real dancing. Mm. So understanding the distinction is very important. And like, so just for the people, cause you know, myself, I'm not a dancer and I know the listeners, some of them may not be dancers either. What is the distinct difference? So, for example, if I said I was going to do a leg kick. Now, if you see a TikTok move, they think it's like, oh, it's the bare minimum. But if I were to do a high kick and it goes all the way up into a high bot mind to where literally my leg is touching my head. Mm. That's the distinction. Mm. It's the effort. Mm -hmm. When I see TikTok dances, it's kind of like doing the bare minimum. Mm. Whereas real dancing, you're using your whole entire body. Mm. And you're feeling with the music. And it's not necessarily because of a trend not because it's just fun to do in the moment mm -hmm. when you're dancing you are emoting everything that you're feeling for everyone to see mm -hmm. and trying to teach that to the students when we have a theme that we're trying to work on if there's a storyline we're trying to do then they start to understand like oh okay i gotta dig deeper and i'm like yeah mm -hmm. you gotta dig deeper so you gotta use more movements mm -hmm. that actually explain how you're feeling for this theme mm -hmm. versus using movements that's very fun that you're trying to get people's attention mm -hmm. now with my elementary kids i kind of give them a little leeway because if they think it's something fun for them to do i'll let them do it mm -hmm. but at the same time i'm like okay we're gonna push it a little bit more because I want you to try a little bit more because I know you can do it a little bit more. And when they see it, they're like, oh, okay, I see what you mean. But can I still do it anyway? And I'm like, okay, sure. <laughs> You're like, kids are kids. I want to make sure they have fun. But at the same time, I want them to be understanding of the fact that when you're dancing, it takes time, it mm -hmm. takes effort, mm -hmm. and you have to make sure that you're using all that effort to make sure you're building your dance technique. And it's not, it's not a trend. 
You actually want to build your body, your skills to actually be better when you're getting ready to perform. Now, so with going back a little bit with the young lady um, with the video that I saw, she was talking about how the young ladies in particular, they wanted to listen to more of like the the hip hop kind of music and which is, you know, that's fine. But it was more like provocative. Yeah. And the it was like twerking and things like that, that these, like, I think she said they were like five-year-olds yeah. that were wanting to do those type of things. Do you mm-hmm. have issues with like the students trying to be inappropriate with the dancing and being more, you know, vulgar? Well, one of the things I always tell my kids is if your mom were to see you doing it or your dad, brothers, sisters, aunt, uncle, watch you perform, mm-hmm. do you want to twerk in front of them? But no, she was saying that the parents were encouraging, like the moms were letting them listen to like <laughs> songs that I'm not going to give yes. any pr- exposure to a promotion. <laughs> but yeah, like songs that are current and trendy, mm. but they have all these vulgar things that five-year-olds probably shouldn't or should not be listening to. I don't promote it because like this is our next generation. And I want to make sure that my kids understand like, hey, what they're doing, you don't necessarily have to do. One, you're too young to be twerking. You shouldn't be twerking. Okay. Two. You want people to be able to respect you. You want people to be able to see you and know, okay, you are a true dancer. Not over there twerking and doing all this stuff that's inappropriate. Mm-hmm. Three, think about the kind of person you want people to see. When they see you perform, they want to be like, oh, she has talent. Or, oh, okay, oh, she's pretty good from the backside. That's not what you want to be able mm-hmm. to promote. So whenever I get them to think deeper about what they're doing and being intentional, then they're like, okay, you're right. I don't need to do this. But, you know, it's fun. Yeah, I know it's fun. But when you were getting ready to perform, you want people to see your talent, mm-hmm. not you bending over. That's not what we do. Mm-hmm. Okay. And even if they want to try different moves, I'm like, okay, how can we modify it? Yeah. How can we change it up? Yeah. I want to make sure that it looks clean mm-hmm. when people see you perform because that's not what I want you to be associated with. Right. So you talking about you want to twerk and bend over. Okay. Um, we can do like a hip movement mm-hmm. where it's subtle and then switch it to something. But is else. there is there an art in your Expert opinion. Is there an art form to twerking? Because I know twerking, from what I understand, comes from like African dancing. Yes, and it does. Like that. It comes from it. But at the same time, it's not focused on the behind. You know, mm-hmm. it's actually like showing like, oh, celebration, mm-hmm. freedom of the body, expression. Mm-hmm. But when you're seeing twerking, especially like here in today's American society, it's always associated with bending over. Now, if you're watching like African aesthetics, they're not bending over. <laughs> <laughs> if you're paying attention, they ain't bending over showing their whole, you know, <laughs> assets, so to speak. But I'm just sitting there like, if you're paying attention, they're using those hips. And that's where the focus is, using the hips. Yeah. When you're using it right, mm-hmm. you got it. Mm-hmm. When you're using it wrong, people don't look at you sideways. Mm-hmm. So, like, when I try to make the distinction between using right movements versus things that's considered to be provocative, mm-hmm modification how can we change it mm-hmm. and i make them think about how can we change it up so that way they can create their own movements mm-hmm. and they can feel good about their mm-hmm. own intentions and it makes them think outside the box you know that reminds me um just like with what you were saying basically you're what it sounds like you're describing dance as an, a true art a true art but it can also be uh watered down and mm-hmm. diluted to be something that is not even a real form of art and it's kind of like with uh, nudity, for example, right? Mm-hmm. You have nudity that can be artistic, but mm-hmm. then you can have nudity that's just provocative and yeah. for the sake of, you know, I guess sex work or things like that or OnlyFans, stuff like that. So I definitely can see the correlation that you're making with that. Mm-hmm. We'll be right back. 
Hey, it's your guy Quest here. I want to thank you so much for tuning in to the Shape Campaign Podcast. And as a quick reminder, please be sure to check out all of our exclusive interviews from the rest of our ShapeCast, as well as the promotional rollout at RaquezRouse.com. And for more exclusive behind-the-scenes stuff that you may have not gotten to see, at my Instagram handle, at mr.raquezrouse. That's Mr. Raquez Rouse. Now back to the show. I want to press forward a little bit. I know that um, you have a hearing impairment. Yes. Talk about that. Well, um, I was born with unilateral hearing loss. Um, That was due because of the fact I was born two and a half months early. And (laughs) and it was really unique because the, the doctors was more focused on me surviving. They didn't really realize that my hearing was impaired until later on. And that was when I was six years old. So was it like a self, uh, they like induce your mom because there was like health issues. So they wanted you to just be born earlier or. Um, It was like due to like a pre-diagnosed health condition that triggered me being born premature. That your mom had. Yeah. With my mom. And it was interesting because I come from a military family. So I didn't notice anything was wrong because my parents are very authority speakers. They speak loud. They command attention when they're speaking to you. So I had no problem hearing throughout my house because I can hear. Mm -hmm. But when I got into school, it was a complete different thing because my teachers were soft-spoken. And if I missed something, it, it was always like, oh, she's not paying attention. She's daydreaming. And I'm sitting there like, no, no, I, I didn't hear you. What happened? And I I got in trouble a lot as a kid. And my parents was like, oh, she, she doesn't do this at home. So my mom was like, you know, I got an idea. Let me go ahead and take her to the audiologist. Went to the audiologist. They determined that, okay. My right side at the time when I was little, it was like at 95%, whereas my left ear was at 10%. Mm. So they were like, well, she is predominantly deaf in her left ear, but her right side is her dominant side. So she needs hearing aids. And, um, ooh, boy, being a kid, mm-hmm. the old school hearing aids mm-hmm. and people who know back in the 90s, mm-hmm. old school hearing aids, it had a extension cord to the hearing aids that was connected to a battery pack and you had to walk around with it that was a hot mess in elementary school oh my god kids was calling me like robo kid because they, i was connected to so many different things and i would purposely hide my hearing aids mm. because i didn't want to wear them at school and it caused how would so you much. how would you hide them hide them from, like from your parents or yeah, like my parents at school just so i have an excuse not to wear them mm. and uh <laughs> <laughs> my mom got tired. Like, girl, you wearing these hearing aids, you better wear them. And I'm like, oh, okay. So it made things even more difficult. And I felt like I didn't have the support that I needed. At that time, I was at Montclair Elementary. I was the predominantly only deaf and hearing impaired person in school. Mm. So they didn't know what to do with me. Mm-hmm. I didn't need sign language because I could still speak yeah. quite well. Um, I didn't need speech. And they were like, okay, what does this girl need? Mm. And I'm sitting there like, just speak up. <laughs> speak up. Make sure I understand the directions. Um, make sure I can see everything that needs to be done. That was it. 
I had teachers who didn't really want to comply. They felt like, oh, she's fine. She's just trying to get more attention. And I'm sitting there like, ma'am, I just need you to speak up. And it caused confliction, which actually led to me repeating a year Mm. in first grade, which was disappointing to say. Because you couldn't, you had hearing issues? Yeah. Wow. And like I said, teachers didn't want to do their part. So the following year, it actually gotten better. I had like a really cool um, coach who helped made sure the teachers did what they were supposed to do. Mm-hmm. People repeated themselves. People gave me clear directions. Um, it definitely gave me what I needed, that confidence boost. And then they found out, oh, she's really smart. Turned to find out, I was AIG. <laughs> and I was sitting there like, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm very bright. And everyone was trying to dumb me down because of the fact I had hearing loss. Mm-hmm. And like going through adversity at a young age, it made me a little bit disappointed because I was leaning on these adults Mm -hmm. to help me Mm -hmm. and they weren't helping me. Mm -hmm. And when I became a teacher, when kids come to me about stuff, I make it a priority. Mm -hmm. So I'm different when people tell me about, Oh, this little kid is just doing whatever. I'm like, no, there's a reason behind every child's behavior. I don't sit there and I say, Oh, that's a bad kid. That's a bad child. Like, no, there's a reason why they're doing it. You know, I'm glad you said that, Serena, because I I had this conversation with a relative a while back and um my young cousin, she she got caught and kids do things, but she got caught doing something. Um she stole some money from her parents, hmm. right? And um the relative wanted to just write her off as, "Oh, she's just showing out. She's like 12." You know, so she's at that age where she's you know, in school and, you know, things, peer pressure, all that, whatever. Yeah. And to come to find out she had taken the money for a friend or whatever. But I was like, well, instead of just writing her off and saying, oh, she knew better. I mean, yes, she probably knew better not to do what she did. Yeah. But what was the reason that she felt like she had to do that? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. that's pretty extreme, in my opinion, to steal from your own parents yeah. for someone outside of your home. And so, like you're saying, there's a reason everything, yeah. especially when it involves kids, because- they don't know how to always communicate and articulate yeah. what they're feeling, you know? Yeah. And it's different. Like with my girls, they're different because they open up more. My boys, they tend to act out physically. Mm-hmm. Um, I may be a small woman, but I, there have been times I had to separate some boys and they have to tell me and I tell them up front, nobody ain't leaving until you tell me the reason why you decided to take a swing mm. and you're going to explain it to me why. Mm-hmm. And they had to, literally verbally communicate why Mm -hmm. and i'm sitting there like okay i want you to listen to his side then y'all want you to listen to his side Mm -hmm. and then i want you to talk to each other and then once they did it they're like oh we made the issue bigger than it was supposed to Mm -hmm. i was like yeah Mm -hmm. okay now what did we learn from that and then when they actually talk and communicate i'm like okay cool now i hate the idea of like you know i want you to shake the person's hand i want you to hug Mm -hmm. like no I just want to make sure you both clear with each other mm-hmm. about what's going on. Mm-hmm. So there's no animosity mm-hmm. because if I see you swing, guess what? And I tell my kids this too, and I don't care. I'm going to swing on you because mm-hmm. we just took care of this. Mm-hmm. We just talked about this. Nothing should be ever ending with someone swinging on somebody because once it leads to a physical altercation, especially in today's age, when kids feel like they need to defend themselves, it can lead to something deadlier. Yeah. So it's like, it should never come to that. If you got a problem with someone, you got to talk to them. Mm-hmm. 
And it makes me nervous, especially when you see news reports about, you know, a child bringing a knife to school mm. to confront someone that was bullying them. They stab them. They die. Yep. I just actually was a friend of mine was telling me about that last week. And I was and that was a school that I went to graduated from um, and won't name the school. But, yeah, I was I was floored. I'm like, I, I never could have seen anything. Yeah, fights happen, you know, and everybody run, fight, fight, fight. But you never actually think it's going to go that far. Yeah. Um. And so we could this really we could kind of diverge in so many directions with this conversation because we could talk about you know how you, how safe you feel and secure you feel at school nowadays yes. with like the weapons and all these weapon policies and things and there's so much that kids have to contend with uh, just trying to figure out who they are and you got books and school and you got to deal with home life sometimes that's yes. jacked up then you have to deal with you know trying to you know have friend groups so it's a lot of pressure. It is. And that's why, like, with me being a teacher, I want my classroom to be a safe space. Mm -hmm. When they come to me, I don't care if it's 40 minutes, 90 minutes. When they come to me, I need them to feel safe. Mm -hmm. I want them to feel comfortable. And if something's going on with a classmate, they got to bring it to me. Mm -hmm. And I tell my kids all the time, if you're having issues, mm -hmm. we going to knock that out. Mm -hmm. Because if this keeps continuing, that tells me it's something underlining, something mm -hmm. is triggering somebody. Yeah. We got to talk about it so we can work together. Mm -hmm. Because when we come in here, everyone should feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're going to do. And whenever my kids sit there and they're like, well, so-and-so is being mean, we're going to get so-and-so and, -so and we're going to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And we're going to make sure we nip this in the bud. And if this is not taken care of, we're going to talk to the parents, I'm going to talk to the other teachers, mm -hmm. and we're going to make sure we take care of it. You remind me of those old school teachers that you hear about, like especially the part where you said, "If you, if I see, if I talk to you, if you swing again, I'm gonna swing on you." Yeah, that sounds like something the old school teacher. And yeah. I, I think we need more teachers yeah. that have um, that. Like when I was in middle school, it was hilarious because whenever students would get in trouble for like fighting or anything like that, in administration. Um, couldn't deal with them, they sent them to me. And it made me laugh because I had one student tell me, you know, you should be a principal mm -hmm. because you deal with all the bad kids. Mm -hmm. I'm like, one, thank you. Mm -hmm. Two, I can't be a principal because who going to take my spot? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and three, you're going to come in here and sit down and tell me why you in my room. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> I'm not playing with you. Yeah, because <laughs> so I'm like, like I'm gonna, I want to find out what's going on. Yeah. What's, what's going on? Let's go. Let's go. Now, I know, um, kind of going back to, you know, the, and say the name of it again, so I can make sure I'm pronouncing it right, of the, of the impairment. Uh, unilateral hearing loss. Unilateral hearing loss, right? Mm -hmm. I know that there was an incident that occurred when you were 27 and you were teaching yes talk about that um oof, that was a scary one so that was back in 2018 it was around i want to say september september october i was getting my sixth graders and i always have a bell ringer up on the board so my sixth graders they know the routine they get dressed out they come on in they grab their notebooks they get started on the bell ringer and i was messing with my computer and everything went dead silent. Now I have my hearing aids on. I was like, oh, I gotta change my batteries. So I'm sitting here and I always tell my kids anytime I have to change my batteries, give me one second, work on the bell ringer. If you got questions, wait until I'm finished changing. I change my batteries, nothing. I was like, maybe I need a new pack. <laughs> and it went in my purse, did nothing again. 
I took out my hearing aids. I cleaned them, took them apart, put them back. Nothing. And I was sitting there like, oh, no. It's dead quiet. I can't hear anything. So trying not to panic, and I got, you know, a class of 25 kids. I'm like, I made a quick announcement. Miss Johnson can't hear right now. So I had a couple of quick helpers. I gotten like a student to go and get a team lead so I can talk. I gotten someone to uh, answer my phone. I gotten the other person to get like a whiteboard, write down questions. If anyone had questions, they write it down. I answered it from because I was still able to verbal. I got my team lead. I told him, don't panic. I can't hear. I'm going to need you <laughs> to look after me for the day. I need to make, I send an email to my audiologist. And let them know I was going to come in that afternoon. I went in and doing some hearing tests. And he looked at me. He's like, you qualify to be a cohicular implant uh, patient over at Chapel Hill. I'm going to go ahead and push you in for an appointment for this week so you can go ahead and get all the preliminaries ready. And I was like, okay, got to call my husband, let him know what's going on. It was terrifying because I don't even know how I did it. I really don't know how I did it, but I pushed through all the way through December. And then I took time off for my CI surgery. And I was out for like three, four weeks. Um, I will say then my school worked double time. I didn't want to take time off. I wanted to be at school with my kids and they knew what was going on. So I would teach. If anyone had questions, they wrote it down. And then I had like someone popping in to check in on me, make sure I could be able to um, take care of the needs of the kids. And what made me laugh was I never seen my kids work double time to make sure they did everything right. Even if I see something going on in the corner, like I would see someone's stomach like, stop, stop, stop. <laughs> and they're like, we got you, Miss Johnson. It was like, okay, thank y'all. I appreciate y'all. And when I went in for my surgery, my kids, they made me a big card. They were like sending me emails. We hope you're doing well. We can't wait to see you. And most importantly, we can't wait for you to hear us. So we got a lot of stuff to tell you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was so, it was so sweet. And like once everything was in, I wasn't back online. And I say online until like really February, 2019. And, um, when and this I happened back, in September of 2018. Yeah. Wow. And it was like that entire loop. Like I said, I don't know where I got the strength mm-hmm. to go in, still go to work mm-hmm. and do everything where I was literally deaf. Wow. I couldn't hear anything. So with that, right. Cause you said it's unilateral hearing loss, right? Yes. So your left eardrum was the one that was not fully developed, yes. right? Why did both fail? Well, I was told over time when, and I'm trying to use the right analogy for it to explain. It's like when you, in my case, my right side was dominant, but I knew over time it was going to fail. And my audiologist kept trying to warn me I was going to go completely deaf before I turned 30. And I was kind of like, no, whatever. They were trying to give me options and I wasn't hearing it because at that time, I was terrified of the idea of surgery. Like, 
the way CI is, they have to go into your head. They make an incision by the ear. They put in a magnet that actually connects to your eardrum. And it basically reemerges the synapse to make you hear again. You said it's called CI. What does that stand for? Um, cohicular, cohicular implant surgery. Cohicular implant surgery. And um, it's preferred for anyone who's born deaf. Mm. You usually get CI so you can go ahead and learn how to hear again and being able to be taught speech and whatnot. My case was unique because of the fact I was already born hearing, but mm. it was just deteriorating over time at a faster rate. Mm. And when that happened, it just made me more appreciative of things. When I can honestly say I was in a classroom, my kids had a free day and they were just rowdy playing and whatnot. And I could actually just sit there and just hear all the foolishness that was going on. And I'm just sitting there like, I'm going to appreciate every moment where I can actually hear. Even no matter how silly something is, how serious something is, Mm -hmm. I'm appreciative of the fact that I can hear it. Mm -hmm. Um, My husband's voice, um, hearing my nieces, my nephews laugh, um, hanging out with my sister and hearing all crazy stories that come out of her mouth, like Mm -hmm. things like that. It just makes me so appreciative of the fact that I can still hear those things while Mm -hmm. I still have it. And when I had that lapse, when I couldn't hear, it was terrifying because you think about things you never thought you would think. I'm not going to hear my mom's voice again. Mm. Like I'm, she's still right here, but I'm not going to hear her voice. That mm. that bothered me. Yeah. Um, not being able to hear my husband saying he loves me, mm-hmm. and even though we got technology, you can text and messages and things like it's that. It's not the same. It's not the same. So it's just kind of like it's things like that that we take for granted. Yeah. And when I got my CI in February 2019, I was good as new. And it made me more humble Mm -hmm. in the fact that I went through that because it made me see that, okay, this is what I had to go through to appreciate the things I do have. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to take it for granted anymore. Mm -hmm. Now, where where do you stand now as far as, I know you said by the age of, 30, they were saying you would go completely deaf. Is that right? So is that now trajectory now pushed back for that? Is that no longer an issue at all? Do you have any concerns about ever happening again? I'm being honest. I'm still just focusing on it now. Okay. Um, It's like another issue. They're like, well, you did your right side for your CI. Mm -hmm. Would you consider doing your left side? Mm -hmm. Because then it'll be double. Mm -hmm. Now, my thing is, my left side has always been out of the loop. Mm-hmm. It was always my right side. Mm-hmm. I just focused on my right side because that was my dominant side. That mm-hmm. was the side I've always used. Mm-hmm. So over time, I may have to consider doing the left side. Mm-hmm. But I'm wait because CI surgery is expensive. <laughs> it's expensive. So I'm going to wait until I have a little bit more coin and then I may do it down the road. Um, but that recovery period, it was a lot. It was hard for me. It was difficult for me. And my husband can definitely let you know, it was hard for me to sit still and not do anything. Talk about that recovery period. What did that look like? Um, Literally after the surgery, my doctors told me that I needed to rest. And it literally meant no movement. Like you had extensive surgery on your head. 
you need to relax. Anything that needs to be done, other people can do it for you. So you can't cook, you can't clean, you can't move stuff around. You are literally staying in bed and just recuperating, letting your head rest and heal. And I kid you not, I want to say the following day after I had surgery, I remember the nurses was stressed because I kept getting up, moving around. <laughs> and they were like, ma'am, you have to stay in bed. You got to stay in the bed. You can't be moving around because we could see that like all the movement that you're doing, your heart rate is up. And it's like, oh, well, I, I got to move. Like, I don't know. Yeah, how to you're sit. a dancer too. Yeah. <laughs> like I got to, I got to move. I don't, I don't sit still. And it was hard. The very first week I had family coming to check in on me and being confined to a couch or my room. And I was like, uh, what was like the turning point for me was um, my husband was supposed to get us dinner and he went to the gym and he came home late and I was hungry <laughs> and I'm sitting there like cooking. <laughs> and he's like, no, no, you're supposed to be resting. Mm -hmm. And I was like, dude, you're late. You're late. Mm -hmm. I'm hungry. I got to eat some with my medication. And it was like, okay, fine. You're going to do whatever you want. <laughs> like, yep, I am. You hungry. Mm -hmm. Eat this with this pizza. Like, <laughs> like, I got I to move. And like, I just have to listen to my body. My body's sitting there like, girl, take a minute. I was like, okay, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to relax. I'm going to take a nap. I'm going to get back up and I'm going to keep going. Mm -hmm. But it was, it was hard. Mm -hmm. Three, four weeks of trying not to do anything. Mm -hmm. That was so difficult. Mm -hmm. And when I got the follow-up appointment, they checked my head. I was recovering. I decided to do something important because when they do the surgery, they have to cut your hair to get to the area. That's what I was going to ask you about. Yeah. yeah. They have to cut your hair to get to the area. And I had like nice shoulder-length hair. Mm. And I didn't like the fact when I removed the bandage, you just got this patch mm. here and long hair. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to cut my hair. Yeah. <laughs> It was like, everybody was like, no, no, that side is going to grow back. It's going to be like a patch. It's not, it's not going to look right. I'm going to go ahead and cut all my hair off. And it was hilarious because everyone was telling me no. My husband was telling me no. My mom was saying no. My sister was saying no. And I was sitting there like, y'all, look at my hair. <laughs> I got to cut it. I got to cut it. And it was funny because um, it made me think about videos where people would start cutting hair off. Like, because they were like going through like chemo, things like that. And... When they started cutting my hair, I didn't cry. I was excited. I was like, go, keep going, keep going, keep going. I can't wait to see what's going to happen. And they they cut it all off. And I was like, I'm loving the look. I'm loving mm -hmm. it. And like, see the scar. And I was like, ah, I'm liking it. I'm liking it. And I was seeing this new person now. And that kind of became like my metamorphosis, so to speak, because I was starting to see me. And um, it was like with everything that was going on with me going completely deaf and getting the CI surgery and getting my hair cut, I'm starting to see like, okay, these are things I'm not going to take for granted anymore. I'm going to enjoy my life. This is, this is the time I'm going to start focusing on my life. And boom, we get hit with COVID. <laughs> and I'm just sitting here like, oh my goodness. But at the same time, you know, I'm still, I'm still here. I got to make plans for what I want to do. So in the midst of COVID, I started like writing out the things I wanted to do. What do I want to do? What 
it's the trajectory I want to do once this phase is over. And I started thinking about modeling. I started thinking about places I always wanted to travel. I started thinking about things I always said I was going to do, but I didn't do. Um, and I just started making a big push for it. And that's pretty much where I'm at right now. Even though I love being a teacher, I love being a dancer, I'm enjoying modeling. I'm always thinking about what else can I do to make people see like, okay, I'm here, but what are you doing to really live? To really live. And you know, it's interesting, you know, you were telling me before we got started today that there are students that also have hearing impairments yes. and, and you are like that representation for them. Talk about that relationship and dynamic. Um, so at the elementary school that I'm at, um, we have a deaf and hard of hearing um, accommodations for students. And it made me, it actually made my heart warm up when I saw a group of kids who were in first grade to fifth grade with hearing loss mm -hmm. or with CIs. And I was really their first teacher mm -hmm. with hearing loss who wasn't an older woman mm -hmm. who had deteriorated hearing loss. Mm -hmm. I was young, I was mm -hmm. new. And I looked at them, I had my hair up in a bun and I turned around, they saw my uh, CI and the kids instantly started signing. She has a CI. <laughs> and they, they got so excited. They were like, where did that come from? We didn't see it before. And I was like, I'm just like you. Mm -hmm. I had hearing loss just like you when I was little. And they was like, what? When? They had all these questions for me. And I was like, calm down, calm down. Remember, you, you learned in dance today. And they were like, forget that. Tell us this. <laughs> and it was so funny. But at the same time, it was heartwarming because they knew I understand what they were going through, mm -hmm. how they were feeling. Mm -hmm. um, especially if it's like a kid bullying them about them not hearing something. And I look at them and I'm like, you know who you're talking to? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you're talking to me. Yeah. I know exactly how he feels. Did you repeat what you said? Did you go to the interpreter and tell her what you were trying to say so she can interpret it for it? There's different ways to be able to communicate. And like when I established that relationship, it grew tenfold. Anytime they see me in the hall, mate, they run to me. They want to hug me. They want to spend time with me. I had one uh, moment on Thursday, actually, where my um, I call her Mia. Mm -hmm. Um, she cannot speak. Mm -hmm. She signs exclusive extensively. Mm -hmm. And um, it was time for her to leave. She did not want to leave. She didn't want to leave my classroom. She literally broke down in tears and she refused to leave my classroom. And the interpreter, she was worried, so she was going to get um the person from DH. And I just sat with her for a little bit and she was just crying. I held her hand, she let me hold her hand. And she put her head on my shoulder. I was like, you okay? And she nodded. I was like, okay, we're going to walk. We're going to walk. She nodded. And I was like, okay, come on. And she was like, she, when we got to the door, she kind of like dug her heels in a little bit. I was like, I'm going to be here next week. I'm going to be here next week. And she was like, and then walked through the class teacher coming running and she was like, is she okay? She'll be okay. She just didn't want to leave. She looked at me, she waved because she knows she's going to see me the following week. But I was like, this is why I love what I do. Like representation matters. And the fact that she gets to see me, I'm like, okay, I want to make sure she knows I will be here when she comes back. We're going to continue doing the activities. We're going to continue to have fun. That's what we're going to do. And like seeing her face light up when she sees me, is everything. 
Because with some of these kids, you know, they mean mug you. <laughs> You'd be like, oh, they ain't impressed. But when they look at you, they light up, they smile. Yeah. You make a difference. You make a difference. And that is so, so, so much, very much needed. Uh, thank you for sharing that, Serena. I I do have a question. Um, I know you, you mentioned uh, about the CI and that people that were born deaf, mm-hmm. they are candidates for CI. Is yeah. that? But then you were saying because you weren't born deaf. It was something, there was something different. So does that mean that people that are deaf now, do they have the opportunity to get CI or is it just for select people that may, there may be like certain technical medical Yeah, It's open for anyone who could be able to use it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like in my situation, they didn't necessarily think it was going to get to that point because mm-hmm. like I said, it happened at 27, it's supposed to happen like when I get closer to 29, 30. Yeah. And it was interesting to me because- I started doing like studies in terms of like how many people we got millions of people who's using CI because mm-hmm. of different reasons, medical conditions, diagnosis, mm-hmm. um, hearing impaired people. When it goes to the deaf community, remember they are used to not speaking. Mm-hmm. So sign language is their language. So if they are deaf, it's usually predominantly because they have hearing parents. Now, mm-hmm. if you have deaf parents and they have deaf children, CI is not necessarily needed. But if you are coming from a hearing family and they have a deaf child, they're going to push for CI because they want to make sure their child can hear everything. Mm -hmm. Now, it depends because now I'm starting to understand why some of my students do it. In my situation, I am overly stimulated when I have CI. I hear everything. And it's hilarious because you hear things that you never really thought you would listen to. I can hear the AC coming from the vent. I can hear my husband moving around in the other room. I can hear birds tweeting over here. And you're listening and you're trying to pinpoint your focus on where you're supposed to be listening. So if I'm having a conversation, I'm trying to make sure I'm focusing on the person that's speaking. So I do direct eye contact. Mm. So if someone's speaking to me, I'm looking in their eyes. If someone else is speaking, I'm looking at their eyes. So when I hear other conversation, I'm like, hold up, wait. What's going on? <laughs> What's going on? Yeah. So I get overly stimulated. So I remove my CI mm-hmm. to kind of give my brain a break mm-hmm. so I can kind of like come back to myself. And whenever I get overly stimulated, I don't I don't want to wear the CI. And I can't tell you how many times my kids, when they feel overly stimulated, they just take them off. <laughs> they just take them off and just throw them. And you'll be signing... You want to talk today? And they look at you. No. I'm like, okay. You overly stimulated. Got you. Leaving them all. <laughs> you like, don't want to hear anything today? Like, no, it's too loud. Okay, I got you. Uh, <laughs> and it's like, I understand it because like, I went through it. Yeah. And when I come home, it'll be hilarious because my husband be calling me in the back. I'm down here. I'm chilling. I'm relaxing on the couch. And then he's like, and I'm like, oh, snap. What? <laughs> oh, you've been trying to call me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> now, do you use that sometimes in, for arguments? So he, if you don't want to hear what he's saying. <laughs> it does come in handy. It does come in handy. I ain't gonna lie. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Now, um, this is we this is great. So with the shape campaign, right? Just coming back full circle, bringing everything back home. What has this experience as far as what do you feel like you gained from this experience? I feel like it gave me a better understanding of my voice. Mm. 
if I'm being honest. Um, I've always been meek in terms of what to say, how to say it. Now it's actually giving me the confidence to be like, okay, whether you want to hear it or not, this is where I stand. And I want you to hear it from my viewpoint. And one of the things about shape campaign that's important that I want everyone to understand, it is literally an opportunity for women to speak their minds, to use their voices as a means for other people to hear their stories. And it's important because every person is different. Every person is different, but it does not mean they are not worthy. And it's so important for everyone to see it because you never know when someone else's story, their testimony is going to relate to someone else and it's going to connect. And that's what we want. We want people to be able to connect to other people based on our stories. Yes. Yes. Shape. Simply human advocating positivity everywhere. That's that's the acronym. It, it mm-hmm. It's so that encompasses so, so much and is so vital. It's so important. Serena, what do you want the listeners to if they remember one thing about you? What do you want them to remember? One of the things that I want them to remember about me is. You're going to be given a lot of things in life that you don't want to deal with. You're going to be given a whole lot of things that is going to be confusing. It's going to make you angry. It's going to be hurt. But one of the things that is kind of like my model in life, life never gets easier, but you will get better with time. So with all the adversity, with all the difficult situations, the challenges, breakups, divorce, whatever it is that you're going through, you are going to get better in time in time in your life with other people, and it's going to help you move forward. So my takeaway from me is never let these circumstances keep you from being who you are. Continue to live in your truth. Continue to spread your word. Continue to reach out and make people know that you are here. Don't let those circumstances get you down. They're going to pass. You're not. You want to make sure that you are able to stand still and make sure that everyone can see you and hear your voice hear your voice. Serena Johnson, thank you so very much for being part of the Shape Campaign Season 2, 2023. All right. Thank you so much, Raquez, for having me. And I'm looking forward for everyone to see the Shape Campaign. Get ready for Season 2. Get ready, (laughs) y'all. There you have it. We'll see you later. Stay tuned for our next episode.